Amen. You know, I've got a great privilege and honor right now to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, this is Dr. Rick Scarborough, a very good friend of Pastor John's and somebody that God's used to really stir Pastor John to get involved in uh, helping our church make a difference in this city and especially in our nation to where it is just kind of turning its head away from God and that we need to be salt and light to make a difference there. And uh, Dr. Rick Scarborough has uh, grown up in Texas. He has his roots here, but he also helped found and, and build a great church in Pearland, Texas. Uh, it was about a 23, 27-acre property. Thousands were baptized. But just think about this. They built a, a huge school with I don't know how many students. He could tell you that. But also a nursing home that had, I think, 87 uh, places of residence and 86 units. And just think of that discipleship. From, I mean, from birth to the grave, and just doing a great work, over 500 revivals here and around the world, and, and we have the opportunity for him to be here today to stir us up, that we can be salt in life, that we can be champions for Christ, and really make a difference. So let's just give a, a warm welcome to our pastor's friend, and just a great man of God, Dr. Rick Scarborough. Well, if you're unhappy this morning, say amen. Some of you look unhappy. Now those of you that are happy, say Amen. You just proved again, people don't really listen to us preachers anyway. <clears throat> now that I have your undivided attention, if you're glad to be here, say a hearty praise the Lord. Praise, praise the Lord. Lord. It is a joy to be here. I, I, I've got to watch it. i got a text uh, from your pastor. He watched me the first hour. Boy, I'm glad I bragged on him. Uh, that's not hard to do. I did that out of a sincere heart. I was telling the uh, earlier uh, worship uh, group that, a unique thing happened. We've been taking pastors by the hundreds to Austin trying to get politicians to do what politicians ought to do. And that's to, uh, this is kind of hard for me to even imagine we're discussing this, but we're right now trying to get a statewide law that, that demands that men use men's restrooms and women use women's. Now, how hard is this? And yet, beloved, we're now in a special session in July because we haven't got it done yet. It's not because... We don't have enough allies in the, in the state house. We've got a governor and lieutenant governor that's on our team. Eighty of the, uh, I think it's like 140 of the legislators, more than enough to pass the legislation, have signed on as co-sponsors. But in our Texas state legislature, the Speaker of the House controls what legislation gets a final vote. And we have a very moderate, I would call him liberal, Speaker of the House, he is, uh, I believe, uh, uh, well, he's antithetical to the views that we hold as, as believers regarding this issue. We believe that God establishes gender, not a judge or, or somebody that just chooses to change their gender. And he has refused to let this legislation come up. So now there's a special session. But because of the lobbying of pastors like your pastor, phone calls have been made. The governor put this piece of legislation on the special called session. That's the only way it could be pursued. So what I'm saying is keep making those calls. I, I Did you guys get the number uh, that I gave you for the speaker? This is the number you need to turn your attention on. Write that down. And I want you to ring his phone off the wall. The speaker of the house needs to know that, that we are demanding this uh, be brought up for a vote. It will pass and it will be signed into law. But not if he doesn't let it see the light of day. And he loves to say, well, 
you know, where's the outrage? Where's the outcry? We're trying to create that outcry. But in the process of taking all these pastors to, to uh, Austin, uh, I, we went to one of those two events, and I looked up, and in the crowd of about 300 or 400 pastors is a very familiar face, pastor of this church and his wife. He'd signed up online like everybody else, quietly came, didn't even tell me he was coming. He is a board member for Vision America, an honored leader of our organization. But to illustrate to me and anyone who looks for further proof that John Miller is a genuine man of God, he went the same way everybody else did and sat among the group just like everybody else. Had I known he was coming, we'd have had a place for him, likely put him on the program because he is an honored man of God and one we value. But I just think you ought to know as a church family, when he asks you to serve, he's a servant. What he's asking you to do, he is doing. And uh, if you needed further proof, that should be it because I was shocked when I found him just out there in the crowd. I'm grateful for that kind of leadership. Would you stand in honor of God's word uh, and breathe a prayer over my voice? This is the fifth time I came with a raspiness. I'm battling allergies. And after speaking uh, four times on, on top of that, I'm really uh, about to exhaust my voice. Uh, Brother Mike's praying that it completely go away at 12 o'clock. <laughs> I asked him what time we were supposed to be out of here. You know, I was taught in seminary, if you have the crowd up at 12 o'clock, they'll love you. We're not going to make that. Uh, but we're going to be very close to that, God willing, and uh, my voice uh, not failing. But Brother Mike, he, he said to me, he said, you preach as long as you need to, I'll order pizza at 2 o'clock. So we're covered. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, one verse, we're going to preach from content in both 17 and 16. But if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. One verse. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. May we have the spirit of David come upon this meeting today. May we, like David, say, don't worry about it. I got it. I'll take care of the Philistine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the joy of preaching. Lord, I thank you for a raspy voice because it makes me depend on you. I pray that you give me liberty to speak and to speak without restraint. But Lord, most importantly, we pray you speak, that the word of God would dwell in us richly, producing the fruit that you designed it to produce. I want all of you who are standing to pray this prayer after me. Listen carefully, and then let's pray it together. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart this morning. Let's all pray aloud. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart this morning. Father, I thank you that you're going to speak because we ask you to in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's not a story in the Bible I enjoy more than this one about David. Because it shares so many fundamental truths if you dig it out. We're going to try to do that this morning. David was just a shepherd boy when God called him out. But before Samuel recognized what was good, what was about to transpire, you will recall in this passage that Saul, one after the other of David's older brothers, said, man, that's got to be the guy. They were to replace Saul. Saul was taller than the ordinary man. He was a handsome, striking figure. He was anointed by God to be the king and in the initial days was a humble king. But with great fame and wealth, 
and all the accoutrements of success, he drifted and became godless, even uh, committing sin like the sin of witchcraft. He didn't actually commit witchcraft, but Samuel said that his sin of rebellion was much like the sin of witchcraft, and the anointing was taken away. It's time now to anoint us a replacement, to give, give the nation another king. Samuel goes to the house and begins to look at these different sons, one after the other after the other. In walks Abinadab, and Samuel's response is, he's got to be the next king. He's, he's reminiscent of the stature of us all. And God said, no, he's not the one. In comes Eliab. Jesse's second oldest son, and Samuel looks at him and says, man, this has got to be the one. No wonder he passed on Abinadab. And God said, no, he's not the one. In comes Shema, and three more after that. And then you know the story, I trust. God rebukes Samuel and says, Samuel, you're erring as so many people do. For you're looking at the outer man. I look at the heart. Ladies and gentlemen, God doesn't measure our are fit for service as we do. So often, and I've heard it said more than a hundred times in my life, man, look at that young man. Wouldn't he make a fine preacher? And oftentimes it's because he's, he has a striking appearance or some young woman has gifts, perhaps musical gifts or speaking gifts. And somebody says, wouldn't they be a remarkable servant of God? But they're calling them to ministry based upon externals. And that's not what makes you successful in advancing the kingdom of God. Will we never learn flesh always generates more flesh? But the Spirit brings life everlasting. God has no use for our fleshly attributes. Oh, He may use them in spite of us, but the anointed one is one that is found in the quiet place, walking with God so that He can he can handle the public place where the acclaim of man may follow. Samuel says, is there anyone else? Well, there's a, uh, there's a teenage boy out there taking care of the sheep. Well, I want to see him. You know the story. In walks David. I don't even know if he had time to take a shower. But in walks David. And boy, God speaks to Samuel's heart and says, this is the one I've chosen. There are two things I want you to notice. God chose David because David had chosen God. David was a consecrated man. There will be no Davids called forth from today's congregation unless there are men and women in this room, teenage boys and girls in this room, who have said, I choose Jesus. Have you chosen Jesus? You may say, well, yes, I, I have. And I say, praise the Lord. But do you understand that before you ever chose Jesus, if in fact you have, He first of all chose you? The word ecclesia, the word we translate church, is an interesting word. It comes from two Greek words. One is a preposition, ek, meaning out of. The second is kaleo, the verb to call. What the what the, the word ecclesia in the Greek actually means is the called out ones. Do you understand that before Jesus took the term church and applied it to his followers, the word was used on one of the occasions in the, old, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, for a political gathering. You could be an ecclesia for anything. 
And yet Jesus took a very ordinary word and speaking of those who would follow him, he gave it an exalted meaning. He said, upon this profession of faith, Simon Peter, because you declare that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my ecclesia, my called out ones. And in that word, he was telling us all that before we chose him, he chose us. Do you know when I see pride in the church, when I see pride in my own life, I recognize how far I've fallen, how far people have fallen. Because if you understand that before you ever chose Jesus, he chose you, then you won't rank yourself as better than others. You won't look down upon others as less than yourself because you will understand that had it not been for the grace of Almighty God, you would have chased after other things and you would have been condemned to a devil's hell. There is no place for pride in the church. And there will be no pride if we understand that before he, we chose him, he chose us. You ever ask yourself the question, why did I grow up in a country where the gospel is still preached when I could have been as easily born in a nation where the preachers have their heads cut off and very few can be found? Where people are forced to worship a false god or die. Where laws are put in place to subjugate human beings to others. Why were, why were you born in a nation of freedom like you're in? Do you understand what a blessing it is to be able to get up and come to church in Texarkana? And of all the churches, to have a church with a servant leadership like the staff that serves here. I don't think a single member of your staff has failed to ask me if I needed something. One of the staff members earlier today said, Preacher, don't go get your own hot tea. Let us do that. And I've hung around too many Baptists. I like the spirit in this church. <laughs> Beloved, let me tell you something. I want you to look to the person. Do this. I know this is going to be kind of. Well, you can't do this. Very looks to the person to their right. They'll look at the back of their heads. So look at each person on either side of you. Look at them. Do you realize how blessed you are to be sitting next to that person? If you've been here any length of time whatsoever, you're surrounded by people that would shed their blood on your behalf if you needed it. You're surrounded by people that will love you no matter what you've done. You can walk down here and confess anything, and nobody's going to be shocked because most of us have been there too. And that, I'd applaud for that if I were where you are. Do you realize how blessed you are? Now, folks... David walks in and Samuel says, that's my man. And here he is. He is chosen by God to be the next king. Now, if, if you're 16, 18 years old and you have an anointing on your life placed there by this man of God that everybody recognized as the man of God, and you know now you're going to be the next king, wouldn't you be ready to go? So a, a war breaks out. The Philistines come, begin marching in on Israel. Samuel, or excuse me, Saul sends out the call for the men to come and take up arms. Here sits David saying, this is my moment. His father calls in Abinadab. He calls in Shammah. He calls in Eliab, says, get your stuff. Join Saul. Go fight for our country. David's sitting there ready to go. 
But his dad looks at him and says, son, go take care of the sheep. Do you know why God chose David? Because he was available to be king, but he was willing to take care of sheep. Stinking sheep. Let me ask you a question. What is in your heart? Would you jump to your feet if one of these pastors were to call you and say, man, we have an urgent need. We need you to join our leadership team. We're fixed to have a prayer meeting. And, and there's just three or four have been called to this meeting. We value you that much. Would you come down? Man, you'd drop everything and you'd run down there. You'd feel so proud that you were one of the three or four asked. But what if your phone rings and they say, we've got a saint in our church who has no family that we can find in the area. And that member of our church is 93 years old and bedfast, and they're having trouble controlling themselves and we have to change diapers and, and uh, they can't feed themselves and sometimes they, they just lay there and cry. Uh, would you go and, and house sit for the next 24 hours and change their diaper and clean the sheets and would you take that call just as readily? Don't, hey, don't say it. Don't answer out loud. Just do it quietly next time you call them. But are you this kind of servant where you would, instead of waiting for the call, you would simply be found there because you knew there was a need? Beloved, the, the, the champion. This message is called God is looking for champions. The champions that God is looking for are the men and women who do the, the lowest, most menial task but are capable of the greatest task. Those are the champions that change the world. David was that kind of heart. That's why God chose him. Uh, courageous champions are crucified men and women. By the way, let me say this. In a minute, we're going to take David. He's going to go out there and he's going to fight Goliath. And you would think that facing this Goliath would have frightened him to death. You know what? I think, I believe when we meet David in the second millennial in heaven, we won't, we won't be interested in talking to him for about a thousand years because we're going to spend that time, the first thousand, just listening to Jesus, looking at him. But somewhere in eternity out there in the future, we're going to finally run into David and David's going to tell us he was quaking in his sandals when he went into that battle. Let me make you sure of something. I've had death threats. I've been confronted, threatened. I'm telling you, when I take positions on issues publicly, there are times when I can't sleep because I have, I have a, 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 just a panic attack of fear. But you know what? I've learned courage is not the absence of fear, but the willingness to do what's right in spite of your fear. I'm telling you, fear is healthy. I write about fear in the Mighty Man book. That book was written from me to men to help them understand how desperately we need more mighty men. I pray that men read this book and take in the, what, what I've tried to say. But when I deal with fear, there's a healthy aspect of fear. We took each one of our children and I created in them a spirit of fear of their father so they would do what I said, including... Don't go across the busy thoroughfare to get the mail like mom and dad do because that you're not old enough to handle looking for the traffic. 
And the first time one of them defied me, the wrath of dad came down on them, not because I didn't love them, but I wanted them to fear me because at that point, they didn't fear traffic. Amen? Amen? I'm telling you, God's going to call you someday to stand in the traffic on his behalf. You need to fear God. Fear is a healthy thing. There are certain things that you should fear, but don't let it neutralize you from the fight. So the battle breaks out and the three sons go. Uh, Jesse checked his email. Oh, they hadn't had, he hadn't, didn't have email. He checked his cell. Oh, they didn't have cell phones. How's he going to know if his sons are alive or dead? So he asked his sheep herding son, king to be, to go down and check on the boys. So David packs up some cheese and some bread. I like to refer to that as to cheese sandwiches. And off he goes with a sack of 10 cheese sandwiches. But when he gets there on top of the hill, he looks and he sees the armies of the living God cringing in fear by the tents. He sees the host of Philistia swaggering and their champion who is nine foot six inches tall with a spear so large the average man couldn't have thrown it standing there in the valley between the two and shouting obscene things toward God and his host and David just can't handle it he drops the cheese sandwiches with the quartermaster and says who is this ungodly man who's defying the armies of the living God and boy, the quartermaster looks at him and says, uh, Son, uh, have you looked at how big the guy is? He said, Well, I'll fight him. I'm not scared of him. Quartermaster said, Well, if you do, the king will give you a seat at his table for life. He'll give you his daughter to marry, a ransom in gold, and your whole family will be tax exempt from now on. You know how David responded to that? Are you kidding me? He's trying to bribe somebody to fight this man? Is there not a cause worth dying for? Are you telling me that he's having to pay people to do this? Well, that gets the attention of the king. So now David, by the way, is brothers. And you better get used to this. If you're going to step out and stand for God, you better have a thick enough skin to take the criticism. Because criticism will come. David, here's his brother saying, we know what you're down here for. You just want to make a name for yourself. They criticized his motives. Now he stands in front of the king, and the king looks at him and says, you mean somebody finally responded to my ad in the paper, and it's him? He says, you're not old enough. He questioned his maturity. You know, there's always some critic in every church that sits back and, 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 boy, they got it all figured out. They know how to do everything better than everybody else. And they'll give advice. Oh, they, they got, they're loaded with advice. They, they can tell you what the preacher did wrong. They can tell you what programs are wrong, why, they sh why we shouldn't build the building, and all these excuses. And somehow, they become the expert on everything, questioning motives, questioning uh, maturity, even uh, questioning mo uh, methods. Uh, King Saul said, you're using the wrong implements. You need to use my spear. Here's another method. Oh, the experts line up to tell the warrior. Everybody knows how to fight the battle better than the ones fighting the battle. I learned a long time ago. I, I, I didn't say this often, but I often thought it. 
I like the way I'm doing it better than the way you're not doing it. Unfortunately, God wouldn't let me say that very often, but I sure thought it a lot. And in my flesh, I said it a few times. Do you understand, folks, that if you get out of the battlefield, there'll be plenty of critics? But you understand you're never going to make a difference for God until you get out on the water? I'm telling you, when Peter walked on the water, can you hear the, all those disciples in the back? What's he doing out there on the water? Who's he think he is? And people, well, look, I told you he couldn't do it. He's sinking. You know what? Has it ever occurred to you that when he sank, that Jesus lifted him right out of that water? Do you think Jesus drug him back to the boat, half drowning? Jesus either carried him back to the water, back to the boat, or he walked with him hand in hand. But either way, that's not a bad way to travel, is it? I'd rather be out there on the water, even in my halting, limping way, than to spend my whole life on the boat criticizing the guy who tried. So now David's standing in the shadow of Goliath. Uh, Goliath looks at him. He criticized him too. What am I, a dog? You send out this pup? He criticized his manhood. Said, what am I, dog? There stands David, armed only with a slingshot. Goliath has got a sword and he's got a spear. Goliath is, it would have been the best recruit that some NBA team ever found if he had lived today. Nine foot, six inches tall. He's a champion. He's killed every man he's ever faced. He's cowed the entire army of Israel. No one in 40 days had been willing to take up his challenge to fight. And there stands David. David walked over to a brook and he gathered five smooth stones. Now hold on to that thought because we're going to come back to it. By the way, why five? If you really believed he was going to kill Goliath, didn't he just need one? Why did he carry five? Somebody, well, Goliath had five brothers or four brothers. You know, that may or may not be so, but that's not the reason I believe that David got five stones instead of just one. He had absolute confidence he was going to win. But he got five stones, so log that away, and we'll come back to that. Is, am I, I've got a dying battery. It's, it's, you know it's time to quit when, you, when even the microphone begins to rebel. <laughs> Look at the bright side. The, the cafeteria lines will all be down when you go in, so just don't, don't, don't leave me. I haven't had a full sermon this whole day, this whole trip now, so listen carefully. And, and I, need, I need about eight more minutes to finish this sermon, I believe. So listen carefully. David's standing there, and he's absolutely confident of victory. Not that he wasn't afraid. Who, who wouldn't be? Because for all he knew, he, he was going to kill Goliath and die in the, in, the, in the effort. But he's out there on the battlefield. There he's ready to take the charge. Goliath curses God and says, who are you? And he said, you come at me. This is David. You come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, this day God's going to deliver you into my hands. There's no doubt. Now, do you know why he did that and why he was so sure? Because it was a day when he was taking care of the sheep, assigned there by his father, and out in the middle of nowhere, no help in sight, a lion roars, and that gets any man's attention. 
Had David been the average run-of-the-mill shepherd, he would have done what any thinking man would have done. Hide in the bushes, let the lion have a sheep or two, because after the lion leaves, there needs to be a shepherd. And he could have just simply said, don't let him eat all of them. But that wasn't David's style. When the lion came, David positioned himself right in front of the lion with the sheep to his rear. His attitude was, these are my father's sheep. My father called me to take care of these sheep. I may die in the process, but I'm going to die doing what I was assigned to do. And on that day, God, or excuse me, David found out God could whip a lion. A while later, out comes a bear. A bear will eat three to five sheep. David could have said, well, I fought the lion. Most men wouldn't do that. But nobody would expect me to take on the bear. I'm just a boy. But David's attitude was, these are my father's sheep. He assigned me to be responsible for these sheep. So I'm either going to kill this bear or die trying. And he said, Lord, help me. And he found out God could handle a bear. Ladies and gentlemen, every battle you fought for your entire life has prepared you for the moment in which you live. Every fever that left because you prayed over a sick child was God equipping you for the next illness and the next battle. Every time finances were tight, daddies and moms, and you prayed and God provided, He was preparing you to believe Him for more and bigger and better. The Bible says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Every revelation of God's ability is a preparation. He takes us from babies to champions. Do you realize that in this decadent age in which we live, when men don't even seem to know who they are anymore, when there are those forces that are trying to, to cut our heads off with terror, there are those in our country trying to dismantle our laws, defy our God, destroy our freedom. This is the day that God allowed you to live, and he wants you to change this country. You say, I want to see revival in the land. Well, who better than you? Telling you, I'm tired of reading about revivals back in the past. The Great Awakening that gave the courage to those men to throw off the shackles of tyranny of England. The Second Great Awakening that caused men to stand up and shed their blood to free slaves and right the wrong that had been a blight on our nation since founding. We need yet a third Great Awakening. America is not going to survive another generation. You can't plot the, down, the downgrade of our country and see a country survive if the people right now don't come together and say, God is, the, is our God. We're not going to give any more ground. When wicked leaders like the one right now trying to keep this state from doing the right thing say that they're going to defy us and the, and, the, and the God of Israel, it's time for us to stand up and say, not on my watch. And so David reached in his pouch and he got those five stones. Here's what David thought. This is the point of the stones. Here comes Goliath about to draw his spear or, or draw his sword and cut this young man's head off. Here's David saying, Lord, help me. And he loads the first stone. And he twirls it around his head about three times. He's done a hundred times or a thousand times already in other battles. He twirls that stone and he launches it right at Goliath. But his attitude was, if this stone happens to miss your head because you duck, then I'm going to load stone number two. If I hit you right square in the forehead, but because of your strength and size, it just bounces off, 
I'm going to load the third stone. If the third stone does not take you out, Goliath, then I'm going to load the fourth stone. If after four stones you're still coming, I'll load the fifth stone. If after five stones you're still coming, I'm going to charge you and I'm going to scratch, claw, and bite till one of us is dead, but I am not going to quit. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that a Christian doesn't lose until they quit? Whatever the battle, a Christian is not defeated until they leave the field of battle. Housewife, whatever the, the great concern of your life is, know that Jesus is on the throne. Spouses, don't let your spouse leave. You pray them back in. Don't you be the one that initiates a divorce. You wait for God. I'm here to tell you, those of you parents who have broken hearts over children, don't forsake the prayer room. Don't forget that God's still on the throne. You see, they may be a thousand miles from home, but like the prodigal, God can break them and bring them back if there's a praying father like there was in that story of the prodigal son. I'm here to tell you, whether the battle be small that you're waging or of grand proportion, whether you're fighting a skirmish in your own home or at the workplace, it is a preparation for another battle and another battle. And who knows, the next David may be in this room. God, we need godly men and women to run this country. We need champions. We need revival. You know, folks, the revival that millions of Christians have been praying for for years could just as well break out at Church on the Rock, Texarkana, as anywhere else. Why not here? Why not see God move in this church? God is looking for champions. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody moving. Preacher, where do I enlist? I want to be a champion. Sign me up. If you're willing to say that, demonstrate that, then I want you to quietly and reverently get up from where you're seated and come and stand at this altar right in front of this pulpit. Just take your place. I, I surrender. I want to be a champion. I want nothing less. Take no quarter. Whatever the cost. I want to be a champion. You want to be a champion. Get up from your seat. Declare it by the way you march to this, this altar. This is the core church. This is the hope of our country. It's in the church. No politician is going to save us. There's no grand plan apart from the church. The call out ones. Where do I sign up? I want to be a champion. Come and stand at this altar. Well, preacher, everybody's coming. Well, that's exactly what I pray for. Everybody. Folks, listen. You're going to fight battles I'll never see. I'm going to fight battles you weren't called to fight. But the, the, I, I need to know when I'm fighting the battles I'm called to that those folks over in Texas can't have got my back. They're fighting their battles. And we collectively gather at the throne. Then God's going to say, well done. Well done, housewife that nobody ever met, but you prayed your children right through, right through the, the trials and tribulations of this current environment we're in. I'm grateful my kids have grown. I, I, I heard for you young parents. My word, you know, my first house cost me $27,000. That's not even a down payment on a house today. I'd hate to be starting now. But you are. And the same God that saw me through will see you through too. 
Where are the champions? Teenagers. Somebody's got to transform that high school. Preachers can't even get there anymore. When I was in high school, every single revival that broke out in a, or took place in a church, that preacher got to preach to the kids during school time in the in the auditorium. We heard three or four preachers a year that preached righteousness and gave an invitation in the public school. And that was after Madeline Murray O'Hare. The, the ACLU hadn't found us yet. We were still having church. Beloved, we still can with the Christian students. Get a passion for their students, their friends. Anybody else want to join these? Crowded all the way to the back. Anybody else? I want to pray right now. Father, these are people who have said, I want to be like David. We understand, Father, in our flesh there dwells no good thing. And we know that right now Satan's plotting our next demise. But we stand, Father, in honor of you, in complete conviction that you're able. I pray you infuse this congregation with a new mantle, with a new depth of, de of dedication. And I pray you equip them for your glory. I want all of you at this altar... And know those standing in the aisles and some who didn't come forward who feel inclined to change their mind and be a champion. I want you to pray this after me softly but out loud. Lord Jesus, here I stand. I completely surrender my life, my mind, my will to be an instrument of your righteousness. Father, I don't know where it is you'll call me. I don't know what the next battle will be. But whatever, wherever, whenever, I am yours. I pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Give me wisdom, a spirit of discernment to know when to speak and when not to speak. Father, I surrender my life to you. Now I want you to listen carefully. While your heads are still bowed, Reach over and take the hand of the person to your right, the person to your left. If there's an odd number, then let there be three hands joined. But every hand joining another hand, grab them by the hand. Mike, I want to join hands with you. I want you right now, if you know that person by name, I want you to call their name. If you don't know the name, just call, pray in a general sense. But I want you to specifically pray that God would put his hedge around that person, give them wisdom and lead them into battle and use them to bring revival in their in their world. Pray for them right now. Father, I pray for And for Jesus' sake, I pray. Lord, you've heard our prayer. Here we are, Lord. Send us, we pray in Jesus' name. Now listen carefully. Let's, let's let the instrument play very softly. I just gave a very certain invitation for champions. But there are people here who don't know Jesus. There are people in this crowd who, who need a church family. Man, you're just detached and, and hanging out there exposed to every attack Satan brings. You need strength that comes in a family of believers. So while most are going back to the seats, if you've never been saved, if you've wandered far from God, the Bible says if two you shall agree on earth as touching anything you shall ask, it'll be done of our Father which is in heaven. The prayer teams, the, the assigned ones in 
including pastors, will be down here to pray for you. And they'll lead you to faith in Christ. They'll help you understand how to become a part of this fellowship. If you have a personal need, you make your way to the front while the rest of us go back to our seats. Mike, the service is yours. Amen.